Well, hello there, and welcome to Matinee Minutia. It's a very special season finale, season three. And, uh, we're going to be discussing a personal childhood favorite, a uh, little uh, boy meets girl with a little bit of a jealousy and a technology angle. Please take your seats. The show's about to begin. Well, hidey ho there, Mr. Toppy Smelly. Uh, it's nice to see you uh, getting in here under the wire tonight. Uh, you drove in with a top down on that old convertible, didn't you? Well, yeah, it was uh, nice enough. So, um, yeah, totally had the convertible down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just letting your luscious locks blow in the wind, huh? Well, I, you know, there are, you know, okay, there aren't really any luscious locks uh but uh, you know why not let the top down anyways i remember a particular summer when i was a kiddo when uh, my sister had not yet married her husband to be and we snuck out to the drive-in <gasps> he had uh, his daddy's uh moving truck with him his his little van uh there was actually some carpet in there all rolled up and we had to sneak off to the drive-in with the door kind of held together with a bungee cord because it was sticking out the back oh yeah 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 (laughs) that was that was the thing yeah but we snuck off to the drive-in i couldn't tell you what it was because i think by the time we got there i was probably already asleep i mean i was in the early days of my school years Mm -hmm. but uh, did did your folks uh, do movie going in the summers? Did you go to drive-ins? Well, we did, but it was super when when my brother and I were really young kids. Uh, after that, it never happened again. But so, just for an example, I remember being a wee bitty kid when my parents took us to see Mary Poppins at a drive-in. I also just. Distinctly remember being taken by, by my parents to a drive-in when I was a wee bit of kid for the love bug. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, I mean, I, I don't think we did, you know, once we grew up and we weren't in our pajamas anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way, because that's how it worked, DJ. We had to we had to get ready for bed and in our pajamas and uh, before we got into the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were probably passed out <laughs> by the time we got back and my parents just picked us up and threw us into bed, you know, mm-hmm. anyways, we, yeah, we had to be in our pajamas. <laughs> anyways, after the pajama phase, I don't know. I don't think we did drive-ins after that. I just remember that uh, we didn't get to go to the movies that often. And of course the drive-in was special because you know, they they had they had multiple screens, so you could maybe sneak a, you know, a peek at the another movie that was playing. But the the coolest thing as a kid was driving by the drive-in at night and having the radio tuned so that you could hear what was playing on the movie theater because you know the sound came through a radio station. Yeah. So we also at one point lived close enough that yeah. You- could have the radio station for the drive-in on and you could uh, kind of get a preview of the movie no kidding i would totally if i was if i was you there and i could tune into that i'd be like tuned into that every night and listening to the soundtrack of the movie yeah yeah baby yeah now dj i gotta tell you you know it was a different age when i was at the drive-in 
And we didn't have that whole radio junk. Uh, we just had this speaker, this clunky speaker oh, yeah. that we'd, we'd have to pick up a sort of like clip onto our window. Uh-huh. And Dave, uh, that was about it. Uh, and then you had to remember before you pulled out uh, to remove the speaker. Mm-hmm. So, so that you didn't you didn't pull the speaker out from its cords, uh, which was a common happenstance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there there is a scene uh, that involves the driving speaker in the, tonight's film. Here, now you were talking about uh, you know being in your pajamas to go to the movies. Now I don't know if you've seen her around. But our senior showgirl tonight is wearing quite the getup. I don't know if this is a nighty or if it's a pajama, but hey, there are speedies in these. <laughs> it's my goddamn pajamas. You can't tell. Come on, Toppy, you can tell, right? Uh, yeah, uh, you got little footsies. It's my damn pajamas. Jesus. Well, God. You know, uh, thanks for uh, graduating from the all natural because that time we walked in and you stayed overnight when your apartment was being cleaned. That was a little embarrassing. But anyway, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, madame, uh, if you could get your cute little tootsies downstairs, it's our season finale, by the way. I hope you're going to be doing something productive with your time off. Oh, God, don't worry about it. I got enough on my agenda for the whole time I've got. Oh, I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be doing things. I'm going to be doing people. I mean, I'm going to be doing things. (laughs) Don't worry. Stay away from that bingo hall. Right. Exactly. (laughs) All right. right, I'm going to go down. Get ready. All right. Here we go. All All right. Miles is an aspiring architect who buys his first computer to get ahead of the game. When along comes Madeline, the beautiful and musically inclined upstairs neighbor. One fateful day, the computer starts taking notice of her after Miles has. Before we know it, it's a duel. Will Miles win the girl? Will the girl see through his lies? Will the computer order takeout? Slip on your best Annie Hall look and turn off your smart speaker. They don't make him like this anymore. It's time for Electric Dreams with Lenny Von Dolan and Virginia Madsen. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen, a pinch of golden oldies, and a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Alrighty, righty So as you heard our senior showgirl, we're going to be talking about a movie from the mid to early, oh, sorry, early to mid '80s, and this is a romantic comedy. Now, uh, before we continue the discussion, I thought I'd go ahead and give you a taste of the story. Here's the trailer from 1984. Yeah, play it. 
What's your preference? Apple, pear, wang? Oh, listen, I don't know anything about computers. Nobody does. Miles just bought a computer, and he got more than he bargained for. You're talking. You know this. Madeline just moved in upstairs, and she's the girl he's falling for. I can't play that for her. I want to squeeze you, lick you, pucker up, and kiss you. You make her sound like a lemon. But I don't know what love is. You never told me. Did you write that for me? No, well, I mean, did you like it? When Edgar comes between them, I want to meet her. Things start to get electric. You're taking over my life! <laughs> this is done by a director that did quite a few 80s music videos so um you yeah. know it it was all very visual and uh we'll get into some of that here yeah but let's look uh back at uh, 1984 when this movie came out dj what were some of the things going on in the world way back then all right so the uh, u.s history in 1984 all right, so 84, it was an important year for a lot of different reasons. Ma Bell, the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, AT&T, well, they decided that it was a monopoly and all its divisions were all broken up. <laughs> Baby Bell. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I guess it was a monopoly, but wasn't everything simpler back then? I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it used to be that you couldn't even buy the phone that you wanted. You had to pick the phone that the phone company would basically lease you. So, yeah, you didn't own it. No. So uh, in 84, Ma Bell was broken up. All right. So also in 84, Michael Jackson, he won eight Grammys that year. Record uh, for yeah. awards in. Yeah. Soviet Union boycotted the Summer Olympics, which Ooh. 84 was in Los Angeles. Also in 84. Oh, why did they do that, by the way? Why did they do? We, do we know? I can't remember. Why did they do that? Uh, I think that they were in competition to host. So they weren't going to attend because, you know, America and democracy. So it was. Their okay. Little protest. Okay, so also in '84, Miss Vanessa Williams. You've uh, known her from uh, the uh, Desperate Housewives show more recent years, and Ugly Betty. And uh, well, she's got uh, quite a set of pipes on her. She can sing. Miss Vanessa Williams became the first Miss America to resign. Uh, she had some naughty photos leaked. <sighs> oh well. Boom, boom. Catherine D. Sullivan in 84. She was the first American woman to complete a spacewalk. 
And that must have been um, when we did the uh, space shuttle launches. I mean, I am partly an 80s kid. I was growing up in between the 80s and 90s. But uh, if you can see us on YouTube tonight, I'm wearing a very nostalgic shirt. It has NASA on it, which you can't have lived through the 80s without being proud of NASA and the space shuttle. That's right. It was a huge thing. Huge thing. And uh, also in 84, not necessarily a good thing, uh, Ronnie Reagan won re-election. Blam, blam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, that ended up uh, wonderfully. Uh, hi, Mommy. Mommy, what should I do now? I don't know. I'm going to consult the, my astrologer. Hold on, Ronnie. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out what I'm going to do as soon as I consult consult my astrologer. Okay, mommy. Oh, that that little skit. Okay, end of skit. Sorry. <laughs> so, Toppy, there were a few people that came into this world in 1984. People who've been on the screen. Who were those folks? All right, uh, births. Uh, we got uh, Kate McKinnon. Uh, Saturday Night Live, you know her. Uh, also, uh, Mandy Moore uh, and uh, uh, from uh, America Ferrara, or uh, anyways, very uh, anyway. Uh, also, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, yeah, that guy, and uh, not to mention Katy Perry and Scarlett Johansson. Uh, is Scarlett Johansson the Black Widow? Yeah, she's not happy that Disney is putting her movie online while it's in theater. Yeah. How about that? She was born. She was born in 84. How about that? <laughs> Good well, Lord. Kate McKinnon, since she was on Saturday Night Live, a lot of people will recall the characters that she has portrayed. And she's very famous for portraying Hillary Clinton. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, another role that she did quite well, I do believe. Uh was in more recent years there was a all-female cast ghostbusters film and oh yeah she had a quite good character in it she was sort of a a, a female egon she was a a blonde kind of uh new waved hair gal and she was the tech guru uh-huh all right dj so uh electric dreams and 19 came thundering through the uh, theaters uh, what was it up against uh what was the competition okay so this is where we get to the hits that fell from the box office because you know we uh we have a soft spot in our hearts for the underdog here well it's no surprise electric dreams wasn't the top performer but it was also released at a very awkward timing for a film that although it was a romantic comedy had no recognizable leads and and virginia madsen were in the beginning of their career at this time so uh, they were being discovered essentially as this came out but Number one film in uh, the box office that year in 1984 was a little film that had, uh, well, some Saturday Night Live royalty. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was in it, Toppy, um, and also Bill Murray. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yes. And you know what? This goes down in 80s history for me because I think, if I do recall correctly, this may have been the very first movie 
that mom and dad rented on home video when we got a VCR. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I recall my aunt having gone to the movies with her girlfriends and told us about this. And it was like, hey, you know what? We've got one of those home video machines. Let's rent it. <laughs> yeah. Home video machines. Well, By the way, Ghostbusters belted out 220 million bucks. Uh, whereas Electric Electric Dreams kind of only made 2.1 million. But anyways, <laughs> I, I don't know if it broke even. It probably paid for craft services. But uh, number two yeah. in the box office uh, was the early days for Harrison Ford's new career as a archaeologist and adventurer. It was Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. That was the second film in the series, was it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of like. I'm kind of wowed that Ghostbusters beat out Indiana Jones. I personally prefer Indiana Jones, but I'm a history guy. And uh, number three is a uh, another personal favorite. Now, a lot of people will call this a Christmas movie. I think it may have been released at that time. But, uh, you know, it also takes place during that time. So there's a lot of movies that aren't Christmas movies, but because they take place, then people watch it at Christmas. And it was the little critters that you're not supposed to feed after midnight. It was gremlins. And it introduced us to Miss Phoebe Cates. That brought in $148 million, making it number yeah. three. Now, because Electric Dreams... It has a soft spot for us. So I'm going to tell you the one that did better and the one that did a little bit not as good. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way we put it. PC in the uh, the management world, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, one better than Electric Dreams, the box office was a film called Silent Night, Deadly Night. I don't think this is a romantic comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a Christmas horror film, and that brought in 2.4 million. And the film that did a little bit less than Electric Dreams was a Vietnam love story, which starred Charlie's Angels actress Cheryl Ladd. It was called Purple Hearts, and that brought in two million. Okay. Wow, that was probably the last theatrical release she was ever in. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I think nowadays she's mostly done Lifetime movies and Hallmark. Kind of. Anyways, uh, shall we talk about the director? We shall. Uh, Mr. Steve Barentoppy. This is a guy who got to the start of his fame in the 80s. What are some of the things that he did to make himself famous? Well, he was in the video, um, music video making business. And one of the big things he was involved with is Billie Jean by Michael Jackson and uh, The Summer of 69 and Run to You by Byron Adams. And, well, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, Electric Avenue. And I Don't Want to Dance by Eddie Grant. Uh, so anyways, he was uh, uh, just going along uh, doing music videos and almost sort of by accident, but sort of by fate. This movie, uh, Electric Dreams, came upon his plate and and it was his first directorial debut. I mean, that that's he made the transition 
from doing what he was doing in music videos to directing a movie, much to his surprise. <laughs> so he was born in Dublin and uh, and uh, is an Irish British filmmaker. Um, he would go on to do quite a bit of other things, um, including uh, movies such as Trauma. Um, in 76, uh, that was even before Electric Dreams. But after that, uh, he did uh, 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was a big thing. How about nine, 1993's Coneheads he directed? <laughs> uh, many other things. Uh, the Adventures of Pinocchio in 96. Uh, something called Peace One Day in 2004, Choking Man in 2006, and his last movie credit was in 2019 called Supervised. Um, also on television, he did a lot of things. Um, uh, I don't see anything that I recognize, except possibly Merlin in 1998. Oh, well, I would make a personal recommendation. Toppy and I were talking behind the curtain became before we came out to the balcony here. And uh, Steve Barron has done a series for, I believe it was the BBC, and it was uh, for three seasons called The Durrells. Now, uh, D-U-R-R-E-L-L-S. Now, uh, in some places, it's called The Durrells of Corfu. That's the name of the Greek island that they lived on. But it's a period story. It's a a widow in World War One who takes her family and starts over in a new place. And they, they go to this island in Greece. And of course, the story involves them settling in a place that hasn't gotten electricity or modern conveniences yet. So mm. uh, quite an interesting story, because once she steps out of her realm of comfort, being a British citizen, she has to contend with the reality of life in greater Europe. All right. But I would definitely suggest uh, anybody who's looking for a period story and, uh, you know, likes electric dreams. We're not at that part of the show, but hey, look at the Drells if you get a chance. So um, shall we get ahead of ourselves? Would you like to go ahead and uh, play the interview for the director, Toppy? Yeah, why not? We're about at uh, 30 minutes in, so this is about a three-minute long interview with the director, Steve Barron. Okay, so we're going to try on over here to the snack bar where McJohn Gertie is whipping up some libations and, uh, you know, testing out the limits of her feety pajamas. <laughs> oh, so here we go. The interview with Steve Barron. By the early 80s, I'd spent a few years doing music videos in London for bands that were coming through, like The Jam and Adam and the Ants, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Interesting visual and, you know, new wave sounds that were coming out, and we were doing as much as we could kind of conceptual videos or story videos. You know, we didn't quite know what it was yet because MTV hadn't come along. Then suddenly MTV opened up in the States and the demand was much more there from the record companies to, for us to do our best work. And therefore we got a slightly bigger budget. We started forming more of an idea of what 
what people were looking for or what would be interesting. There wasn't, didn't seem to be any ground rules for what was a video at that point. Even when I was doing music videos in the late 70s, I didn't think about directing movies, even though I'd been a camera assistant. I'd been a crap loader, so I'd been on the set a lot. I really still didn't fully understand what the director's role really was. I mean, what the full scope of it was. I knew what the bit I saw on the set was about. I just didn't know the full thing. So it wasn't an ambition I had to to be a to be a movie director. I kind of fell into it. I was quite young and these videos were getting more and more attention and uh, suddenly I was getting offered scripts from Hollywood and Rusty was working as a producer on Yentl. He was watching some of the videos that I was doing and he said to my my mum, would, would Steve be interested in uh, in doing a, a movie? I've written this movie that's uh, it's about it's music-based and it's about future technology and it just seems like what he is doing in music videos but he sent it to me and I thought this this sounds really great and it sounds like a real fun thing to do and the conceit of the triangle between the, the boy, the girl and the computer, the Serrano de Bergerac base that Rusty had used for the concept was really a good idea. Hello, hello, hello. You're talking. And so as soon as I read it, I said to Rusty, I should send this to, to Richard because I think he would like this in the music part of it. So we went, actually went up to his barge, over to his boat, and we sat there and, and Richard was thumbing through the script as he was chatting to us. And, and he said, yeah, I've read it. Yeah, he said, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think we could do this. And within 12 weeks, we were filming it. You never asked me my name. Well, what is it? Edgar. So that um, is an account of how that all got made and uh, of how movies get made. My impression is this particular movie, um, but for a few coinkydinks would never have been made, but somehow as things went, there were enough people that knew someone that knew the other person that suggested that one and said, Oh, I think that guy might be. And then (laughs) Amazingly, a couple of uh, producers stepped up and spit out, you know, enough money to do it. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that's today. Today, I mean, today, this would not happen. This would not happen. <laughs> so we have a, a boatload. Um, well a small boatload done this film uh, of people that came together with talent to make this film. And the first in the cast, the male lead is Mr. Lenny Von Jolin. And he plays the young architect miles. Now, Lenny Von Jolin was born in Georgia in the South, not the country in the, in the far East there. Electric Dreams was only his second feature film. His first was a film called Tender Mercies. And this was a film in 83 with Robert Duvall and uh, Mr. Oatmeal, Mr. Wilford Brimley. I got the beaties. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Testing supplies. Uh, in the next five years, he would only appear in two films, but seven TV shows. Von Dolan's most remembered role was a 
as Harold Smith. He was the creepy guy who grew orchids in Twin Peaks. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Okay. And in 93, Von Dolan uh, sort of uh, resumed his career. He was out of the limelight for a little bit between gigs. He, he, he does work in theater. In 93, Von Dolan starred as a villain in the latest installment in the Home Alone series. Home Alone 3. And, and no, this didn't have Macaulay Culkin. They, they recast now. They got a new kid. And uh, more recently, more recent years, Lenny Von Jolin works primarily in theater. And overall, in his career, he has had 68 acting credits. All right. By the way, Deej, did you know uh, who wanted this role? Uh, and he tried to get it. It was none other than Hank Williams. No. <laughs> not, not Hank Williams. No. Tom Hanks. Okay. Tom Hanks wanted the stupid role. This would have been a uh, a, a promotion from doing Bosom Buddies. Anyways, they Tom Hanks was actually something of a name when this was happening. And they said, we're not going to pay for it. Tom Hanks. So oh. Tom Hanks did not get the role, which is why they went with unknowns. Mm-hmm. All right. So also co-starring with uh, Lenny Von Dolan was Virginia Manson, born in Chicago. Electric Dreams was only her second film. Uh, her first was Class with Jacqueline Bissett, Rob Lowe, and Andrew McCarthy. Uh, just after Madsen starred in Dune, if you remember, that was with Linda Hunt and Patrick Stewart and Sting mm-hmm. as Princess Arulin. I uh, rule in that, that world. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, more recently, uh, she's been keeping busy in the television series Swamp Thing, uh, 2019. Also, the truth about Harold, about the Harold Quebec affair in 2018. Yeah, she started in that with Patrick Dempsey. And in 2016, she was in American Gothic on CBS and Netflix's designated survivor uh, with Kiefer Sutherland. So you would have seen her in that. Okay. Uh, what else? Who else was in this damn thing? So we've got a boy meets girl story. And of course, uh, one of them's got to make someone jealous to know, to know if they're interested, you know, if they're they're uh, paying attention. And of course, who's the third wheel? Why, it's pretty boy Maxwell Caulfield. Now, he got his start in his uh, the start of his career was in the 80s. So you might have seen him in that uh, that uh, di- not direct sequel to Greece. That didn't star Olivia Newton-John. It had Michelle Pfeiffer. But uh, Maxwell Caulfield, he was born in London. And his first work was an uncredited role in the soap opera Ryan's Hope, which, of course, launched my favorite Star Trek captain, um, Kate Mulgrew. And then in 82, he was cast along, as I mentioned, Michelle Pfeiffer in Greece, too. Now, thereafter, he mostly worked in TV and theater in 85 Caulfield had a recurring role on Dynasty so getting to our soaps there and then the spin-off of Dynasty which I think uh ran for a couple of years called The Colbys and mm-hmm. then 
more recently in 20 uh, in 2009 Caulfield had a recurring role in the UK series now everyone thinks that uh, the UK it's all about the BBC no they have other networks too and uh, the the kind of the um you know the the competition to the BBC in the UK is called ITV and uh, the series that Caulfield guested on was called Emmerdale now and uh, also more recently in 2015, Maxwell Caulfield starred on the Stars Channel movie, A Prince for Christmas. Aww. One step away from Hallmark. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing we should mention is the voice of the computer in this movie, the computer who named himself Edgar. And that is Bud Court, who we all know famously and love for Harold and Maude. Among other performances, but that's his. Uh, that's what I certainly remember him most for. Bud Court. Now the thing is, DJ, uh, they enjoyed having his name recognition in this movie since their two lead stars were mm. unknown. The thing is, after they got through fussing with his voice with special effects, you'd never know it was Bud Court. <laughs> um. Which is an odd choice. Uh, uh, one thing they did do, apparently, is that uh, to make the computer seem to be really conversing with the actors is that they had Bud Court come on set in his own little private cubicle and live uh, interacting with the other actors. He would do his lines so that it had all the impact that it could. And I guess that seemed fine. But but to be honest with you, they, they really wired up his voice until it was completely unrecognizable. And I say, what a waste of Bud Court. Mm, well, I mean, uh, I think he did bring the star power. So people probably came to the theater when they eh, saw Maybe. Uh, as you may have heard in the beginning, we played the trailer and those portions were what we call pre before the special effects. So post-production hadn't happened yet. And you actually heard Bud Court's untouched voice on there. In fact, another piece of trivia is that in the trailer, you actually heard the woman in the computer store speaking with a Southern accent, which they actually remove from the the final version of the film, but uh, do we know why? Um, I would assume that um, they were concerned that they may have been portraying Southerners as ignorant. Okay, because one of the things that you learn through watching the film, if you haven't already, do a, a search for it. Uh, it is available in some unofficial sources. All otherwise, you can and more recently buy it on DVD, uh, which is actually cheaper than the Blu-ray and the Blu-ray isn't necessarily any better quality. So <laughs> word to the wise, be thrifty, get it secondhand, maybe. Um, anyways, so um, the uh, the computer saleswoman, she's it's in the 80s. She even tells you how much she makes in the 80s. I think it was something like 310 an hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know, so oh my god, practically accosted after 
the computer gets glitchy and he says, uh, don't you know anything about computers? And she says, for three ten an hour, I don't need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of the things Edgar, the computer, can do in this movie, which I think at the time were, were kind of visionary. Uh, I don't know where they got the inspiration for the computer to do the things he did. But the computer would would um, cue in on uh, uh, video cameras uh, that were on the property, and it would take them over, and it would it would it would take over functional items in the home um, and do things that at the time uh, I don't know that anybody was thinking that computers could do so. Am I, am I misjudging this or isn't it true that this, I mean, the kinds of things we saw the computer do in this movie were uh, kind of visionary. They were, you know, um, this is a time period where there was so much innovation coming to the consumer market. I mean, in 1984 alone, the year that this film was released was an important uh, milestone in the history of one said Apple company because they they created a commercial that's still talked about to this day that ran during the Super Bowl. Um, so you know, Electric Dreams it it uh, introduced some cutting edge concepts for computers that actually only in more recent years came to reality. I mean, um, some of the things that occurred in this film was Miles plugs in his first computer and he's got all these components to hook up, which include little adapters for his home appliances, which before that couldn't do it. But nowadays we have these smart plugs and you could make sure your lights are on before you come home from work. But at that time, I mean, that was kind of visionary, I think. It certainly was. And, you know, there, there were many uh you know growing concepts and there were wish lists basically of what we want these things to be able to do and of course that led to um some of the pricing because you know in 1984 first of all the majority of the things that this computer in the movie could do were not possible you know on uh, you can't go into a store and buy a computer 1984 and have it turn on your coffee maker for you <laughs> um you know it, it certainly wasn't able to show you uh you know daytime talk shows or answer your phone for you yeah um, although it, i will say that by the time i was in college in the late 90s um my uh, my home computer actually had uh, an answering machine built into it Woo. so i i'd say that uh, the director um with his music video background uh put together quite uh an exuberant uh visually uh impressive scene where the computer starts coming after his owner and the computer visualizes the uh the the ghost chomping uh what is that thing dj yeah pac-man um and the the pac-man 
starts going after the kid in his own apartment. And then the computer visually scans the apartment and we get a representation of his apartment on the screen so that the computer knows exactly where he is and pursues him because he's mad at him. He's jealous. Um, And all those things... You know, there's a lot of uh, pyrotechnics and like uh, different uh, appliances explode and things, and uh, it's all it's all quite uh, all quite exciting and well done. But nothing, I mean, uh, really at the time, nothing a computer could ever really do. But who cares? It worked in the movie. You know, I think that one of the aspects of the story that is still charming, I mean, uh, you know, we we have more availability of the technology in our homes nowadays, certainly, because, you know, we, we have a generation now who doesn't feel the need to have something that sits on their desk or in their lap. They can put it in their pocket. So why should they have, you know, a bona fide personal computer? But, uh, you know, we, we have Miles, who, although works with technology as an architect, he didn't have a computer yet. And we've got his upstairs neighbor, who is a musician. And for her purposes, she's trying to figure out, you know, does, is he writing music? Because there, there are scenes, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, there are scenes where the beautiful upstairs neighbor, Madeline, thinks that her, you know, quiet nerdy neighbor is writing music because she's hearing sounds from the downstairs. Now she doesn't know that this computer is, uh, you know, uh, going haywire essentially and trying to figure things out for itself. She thinks that he's a musician and there's even a scene when they're in a grocery store and she hears some sort of electronic chiming. And she says, that's what I heard the other night. And he's like, I think that's the cash register. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, actually, the exchanges between the innocent Madeline and her music making. What's the inter- instrument that she plays? Is oh, it a cello? A cello. Um, and the response of the computer. There's a, quite a scene where the computer can hear what Madeline is doing because sound travels through uh, the heating ducts. Because uh, Madeline is one apartment above, and so the computer can hear it, and it starts to respond, and it suddenly learns how to play um, something that sounds similar. And Madeline and the computer uh, begin to uh, spontaneously um, communicate. Communicate, but they they communicate with their music and respond to each other. And uh, uh, all that's done quite well. Um, And the director makes a lot of good work out of the static image, really, of the computer. Mm -hmm. And he keeps the camera in motion quite a bit of the time, looking into the computer in various ways uh, just to bring interest you know, otherwise there'd just be this computer sitting there 
And so I think the director does a good job in making all of that seem kind of magical and kind of sweet. Yeah, we know Toppy and I were able to have a unique experience. We were able to watch the movie together because sometimes we have watch parties here at Matinee Minutia. And that's one of the perks of being a member of our Facebook group. So if you are on social media, if you're on Facebook, look for Matinee Minutia. I'm sure you could spell it right by now. You find us in... <laughs> no, I doubt anybody could spell it right by now. Uh, I can barely spell it right every time. Well, if you follow one of us, chances are you'll have an example. But anyways, we watched it together and uh, it is, uh, you know, there's something to be said for the type of music they chose in this. Now, of course, as we were saying, the director has some experience working with music videos and, you know, modern music artists, but the fact that Madeline is not only a musician, but she plays classical music is very important because there are certain types of music that are, in a sense, timeless. Because mostly when you don't put words to the music, when they're not sung, you don't have to interpret them for the time period you're in. You can do a performance and you could maybe change the music a little bit, but in that regard, I believe that classical music can be timeless. Also, any other music without lyrics, you know, uh, it can be reinvented. I have heard many a pop song from the 80s that has been slowed down and has been performed as either a country song or as a jazz song. So um, anyways, dialing it back for a moment, um, you know, when, when the um, incident occurs, where the computer is damaged and it recovers and uh, it, it sort of develops its own intelligence. Um, this scene that Toppy and I are talking about with the exchange of the music is, is uh, kind of, um, you know, a pinnacle moment because, um, you know, um, modern science has taught us, modern medicine has taught us that when children are in the womb, you know, they, they are impressionable and people can play music when your child is still in the womb and it affects their, their future thought patterns, their ability to learn things. And so um, classical music is thought to be one of the types of music that children in the womb react most to. So um, anyways, so that uh, is, you know, one of the, the um, important moments in the scene in the film. Now they, they go on a few dates before the, the film uh, reaches its uh, climax or toppy. And uh, it, was there anything you noticed? I'm sorry to take you off guard here, but uh, you know, you, you asked me, why are they, where, where was it that they went that you were like, why are they going there? Right, right, right. They they went to Alcatraz, and of course, um, you know, uh, Miles was like, "Why are we going to a prison?" And she says, "It's a former prison." Now, think about it, though. The, the, he's an architect, so he probably brings home a better paycheck than a part-time musician. So, all of these places that they're going on some of their dates—the drive-in, the the former prison, the carnival—these are all places that someone living paycheck to paycheck could probably afford to take you out to. <laughs> But, uh, you know, to quote Miles, he may know a few women, but she's the only one who <clears throat> ever won him a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough, uh, the majority of this movie was filmed in the UK. Most of the interiors, they built the apartment on a soundstage where much of 
the action takes place. And when they wanted to do the exteriors, they went over to San Francisco and they got all of those shot first. But the majority was in the UK. Yeah, in some of the interviews that you can find on the DVD and, and online in some places, uh, the the cast, Virginia Madsen uh, explains that while in England, in London, she and Lenny Von Dolan had hotel rooms in different parts of the city, so they didn't get to hang out. And of course, in more recent years, she explains that um, being one of the first films that she worked on, she actually had quite the crush on Lenny. <laughs> I'm sure he's quite handsome. Oh, yes. But, uh, you know, more importantly, if you think about it, the the technology culture that this film showed on the horizon there uh, really changed things for day-to-day life for folks because, you know, the, um, a lot of California became home to corporate America and including Apple, you know, the Silicon Valley exploded from that development of technology that we've got to have in our hot little hands. And so we have an architect and we have a musician living in the same building. Now, nowadays, I couldn't tell you if people with so different incomes could actually afford that same rent. Uh, true. Also, I just want to say, okay, as early as we are in computer development i don't think there was a single program out there that would have been useful to an architect at that time now now not too not too long down the line there were all sorts of things cad um other things that enabled interior designers and architects to basically do what they did on paper by hand and they could eventually do it on the computer but back then no no there was there was no such thing i don't know why this architect guy thought he wanted this computer and i don't know what he thought he was going to do with it but it would have been a silly toy in in reality and that leads me to the question dj Uh eh, going way back then Ah, what was your first computer? Well, uh, you know, of course, I was living at home still, so it would have been a little different than Mr. Smelly's experience. But we first got our first computer when mom went back to college to finish her degree. Uh, Let's say I was probably in junior high, so it was the early 90s. And uh, the first computer that we had was a DOS computer. So, uh, you know, since there wasn't going to be any sort of uh, application of art, it was the business realm of word processing. So we we just got an IBM, you know, compatible. Uh, I think it was DOS 6 at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. My father had one of those. He was an early adopter um, to the, the whole DOS thing. And he got along quite well. Um, being uh, developing the things he wanted to develop that helped him with his business and personal life on, on DOS. Mm-hmm. I remember typing quite a few things up in DOS. And um, well, we eventually did, of course, get a Windows computer. But 
I was the person who was responsible for maintaining dad's movie list. Now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that must have been kind of fun. It was. Now, for those of you who've been hanging out for a while here, you know that this show came out of my father's love of movies. He had a learning disability. He survived his youth in the 50s, and he actually had rheumatic fever as a child. So, you know, we we have lots of memories of dad going through hard times. But uh, the, the, the kinder memory is that movies were dad's books. So... Uh, his hobby was buying films, and quite often he would uh, tape them off of television. But we had a ginormous cabinet of films, and he was the smart guy who told the the video rental store that they would save space by turning their cassettes on the short end to store them, because then they could put more shelves in. Get out of here! <laughs> Get out of here! Ah! <laughs> that's funny and dad also used to demonstrate his home theater by showing it off playing xanadu with olivia newton john of course yes a film that we've uh uh talked about right here on this little shoe well, uh, yeah. watch party and maybe someday we'll devote an episode so toppy uh, i interrupted you you were going to say your first computer okay so <clears throat> yeah um it was a Macintosh. No, wait, what was it? It was, um, oh, well, it was a Mac computer. Uh, really early on, after their first computer, uh, uh, I guess it was a Macintosh LX or something like that. That's what it was called. Mm. Does, that, does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. I did a little reading on it, but what what are your memories of that computer toppy? Well, I mean, uh, you didn't have to do DOS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you did you get this for for your degree for school? Were you, were you at college? When you- uh, it was after college, okay. and my partner and I wanted to get into the computer thing and of course my partner couldn't get the basic thing he had to get the best thing which would have been you know which would have been this macintosh uh and uh, oh we had that for a good five years before we went on to something else and uh no geez i i remember being able to play computer games on it and uh all sorts of things um and it was quite adopt adapt adaptable mm-hmm. over the years it could handle new things that came along um i remember growing up in the middle of nowhere my little podunk school had a uh, a computer lab for the elementary students and that was fairly exclusively apple cuz you know apple actually sort of were trailblazers in that they had uh, very generous programs for schools to get computers back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I do remember on this computer being able to do the earliest graphic design work that I could do. There was, there were actually programs out there um, that I could, um, you know, put together some sort of uh, page with type and graphics and, um all that sort of thing and so it was, it was quite useful 
mm-hmm. um, at the time. Now, I I thought I would bring this information up just to to put things in perspective. In uh, 1984, if one were to have bought a Apple Macintosh when it was brand new. In 1984 money, it would have cost $2,500. It was expensive. And uh, today's money, it costs twice that. Five grand for a computer. Good God. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's nothing that I would have been (laughs) able to ever get had I not been with a partner who had uh, bucks on him. Hmm. So, yes, uh, Electric Dreams was uh, a film that I picked because um, I, I have a certain love for, you know, this came out before it was, uh, you know, uh, affordable to have a personal computer in your home. Like I said, we didn't have one until mom decided to go back to school. But I was so enamored. No, not by the shirtless, hunky nerd which, you know, it probably steered me a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, I wanted the computer. So even though we couldn't afford a computer in 1980, I probably saw this in 85 or 86 when it was on HBO, of course. But uh, yeah, and you probably saw it multiple times. Oh, yes. I, I had the theme song memorized. And if I heard it, I would come racing into the living room and I'd say, Don't change the channel. I want to watch that. Mm. Yeah. Now, my experience of the movie is that uh, watching it now for for Matinee Minutia was my first time. And I I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but it was darn cute. And uh, I did end up up enjoying it quite a bit. And also, it was just, it was just interesting looking at how, uh the movies made computers seem like at that time so very interesting not only did i want a computer so badly and that we couldn't afford it i decided that i would make a computer so as a kid i used my building blocks which uh, if you're looking in the discord chat room um the the company that makes board games parker brothers parker brothers they, they decided to take a stab at building blocks so they made something called the construction company and what was important about these were that they weren't typical lego style blocks they had little locking clogs in them that you had to use a screwdriver for but anyways i built a little uh pretend computer uh-huh. fell in love with electric dreams and i took it to school for show and tell ah uh-huh. <laughs> so choppy 1984 has just uh gone on by here in that history and it's summer it's august we are about to step away from the balcony for a little while but before we do we want to tell you something else you might enjoy if, if maybe you just are hungry for an 80s film all right i'll go what, ahead. what do you got all right, so uh, shortly after Electric Dreams hit the theaters, there was a film with um, 
John Hughes, uh, Brat Pack star, Ali Sheedy, and up and coming Steve Gutenberg, who some of you may remember one of his earliest films was something called Cocoon with Grimley in it. But in 1985, there was a film called Short Circuit. And just like Electric Dreams, where technology goes awry and we get something miraculous, in Short Circuit, number five is one of a group of experimental robots in a lab. When he's electrocuted, he suddenly becomes intelligent and escapes. Mm-mm-mm. So, uh, Short Circuit from 1985. I think, <clears throat> check that out if you think that Electric Dreams is something you want to watch again. All right. Well, my recommendation, um, if you like uh, Electric Dreams, is a movie that came out long before Electric Dreams. It's a bit of a stretch, but uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, a great bit of the movie is about a computer who gets out of control and stops doing what it was designed to do and starts attacking the humans aboard the spaceship that it's part of. And it, uh, it, it shows how the humans have to cope with this machine that can do no wrong. And they have to uh, they have to escape death by outwitting this computer. Uh, it's a it's a part of 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is about so much more. But the uh, the little part uh, with Hal 9000 and uh, Dave Bowman. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what I'm recommending. And hell. I'll, I'll give you a quote from the movie. What are you doing, Dave? <laughs> Dave? Dave? Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the song that, what, what is the song he sings? Daisy, Daisy. Da, 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 da. Anyways. All right. Look, <clears throat> uh, for, by the Jesus, if you haven't seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, you should take the opportunity now and see it uh, and uh, have some coffee while you're watching it too because there are some sequences that are rather long and ambitious nonsense my boy nonsense <laughs> this comes from the man who loves star trek the motion picture but i don't blame you it is a pretty film <laughs> <laughs> all right dj well by god what did we just do we just finished up our third season we did 63 episodes. So we've got more episodes than some of us have years. And guess what, folks? Today was Mr. Choppy Smelly's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Cronhaven uh, 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 in the chat acknowledged it earlier. Thank you very much. August 6th, indeed, my birthday. I am 59, officially 59. Uh, I was going to say, what did Jack Benny used to say for years? He was 39 and holding or something like that? Yeah, I think so. So So before we bid you a fond farewell, uh, we had a few folks who joined us in the chat room tonight. 
I'll go ahead and uh, recall who some of those were. We had uh, the Lady Janet, our friend from the Mid-Atlantic there. She was hanging out for a bit. I think she's probably still listening. And we had a uh, mutual friend of Mr. Snelly and I, Cronehaven, was lurking in the room. She's uh, perhaps out and about as she comes and goes. And uh, our dear friend, the the Duchess from my old show, Maren Gertz, was in the room. Also from the land down under, we've got Mr. Archie Cruiser. Hi, Archie. And all of them joined us here for our season finale tonight. We want to thank you so much for the <clears throat> applause. Very nice. Okay, so we've got to get out of the theater because Miss Patty is anxious to tear down some of these social distancing dividers. Now that her dance her dance troupe has had their vaccinations. <laughs> they go back to their um, cheek to cheek dancing. Right. All right. So we're going to play you out, folks. Uh, thank you again. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back after the uh, the Labor Day holiday. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. See you in September. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.